have the uh, uh, dubious uh, responsibility of closing us down in five minutes, trying to pull together some themes. Can you all hear me okay? Um, and I, I want to start at the beginning and the end. Uh, at the beginning, we heard from President Napolitano uh, that great science informs great public policy. And towards the end, we heard from Dr. Roberts, the law can't move more quickly than science. So I think taken together, these are a real call to action for all of us. That we need to get our act together, we need to work together, we need to link the bench to the clinical, to the policy research. We need to uh, do more of what we've done today, bring all of the pieces together into um, common research agendas. We, I need to know more about what's going on in the bench science, and the bench folks need to know about what's going on in the policy world. And um, I think we can do that. Um, so where is the science on food <laughs> addiction, stress, and environment? After a whole day of it, I think uh, we're probably all left wondering. Some of us are even asking the question, what's addiction anyway? Um, uh, we've heard some shocking uh, revelations that Eric Clapton was addicted to sugar. My God. We've heard, uh, we've heard that the average person on the street already has decided that food is addictive, junk food is addictive, and probably sugar. And the kids that Dean works with, I think, told us that in probably the most vivid way between uh, linking it to stress and linking it to environment. So people out on, out, out, outside this room are already pretty convinced. It's we ourselves that are trying to convince ourselves through science. And I heard the even more radical uh, revelation that Anahad has trouble controlling his ice cream consumption. Now that one blew me out of the water. I've always held him up as a paragon of health. Uh, Mark uh, Gold started us out, the uh, out this morning and he made a very interesting comment. He said, when I first started out, it was all mind experiments. It was 100% mind experiments. And then Ashley, showed us how those experiments are happening in the labs at all levels, from MRIs to rat studies. So the, the science is happening here. Uh, we heard from Rob the evidence on dopamine and sugar, dopamine downregulation. It's very compelling and certainly speaks to addictive properties. And then we heard, heard um, from Dr. Boutel that addiction treatments, when applied to food and, and, and f food addiction, do work. So we've heard from the bench and clinical scientists that there's a lot that they're doing and there's a lot that is coming along, but as Dr. Roberts points out, we can't move on law and public policy until we have the science. It has to follow the science. Um, as far as public policy goes, and this is my, my realm, uh, the train has left the station. <laughs> it's, it's already happening and we have to move. Uh, the epidemic, uh, the epidemics we face are just too tragic to not move quickly. And with or without the science, 
we would prefer to have the science and know whether sugar and uh, junk food is addictive and have that resolved. That would help us, I do believe, it very much. But we're moving on children in schools. We're moving on water promotion. We understand that vulnerable populations are really um, where we need to hit hard. And we are changing the food environment. I think we've heard over and over again today that it's not just changing the food environment, although that is essential, it's also ch changing hearts and minds. And that means normative change. And the two come together. The more the products become regulated, the more likely we're to, to ch think differently about them. So the, the elephant in the corner uh, that we haven't really asked, the, the key question I think we all have to walk out of here wondering about is what would it mean if bench and clinical scientists could prove to us that food, hyperpalatable foods and sugar are addictive? What would it mean for our public policy debate? And I'm just going to put myself out there on a limb as somebody who's studied addiction policy for uh, almost 25 years. And I'm going to tell you what I think it would do for our public policy debate. Um, first of all, addictive substances get regulated globally, everywhere, they get regulated. They get taxed, they get, the marketing is regulated. We don't feed addictive substances, by and large, to small children. That's a big deal. We just don't feed alcohol and tobacco to small children. And so we, if we can show that these products are addictive, that will change I think dramatically how our children are affected. We, when we have addictive substances, we protect our societies from the adverse consequences, what economists call the externalities. Our societies say, look, if you make a product that harms people and addicts people, then you corporations have to pay some of the bill for the healthcare costs, or you have to think about passive smoking, right? So when something gets defined as addictive, it means the society suddenly has a stake in the game. The society can say, hey, you producers of this product, you owe us something. It's not just about your profits. It's about you paying for some of the health harms. When, something's, uh, when things become addictive and defined as addictive, the public sector steps in and provides addiction treatment for populations affected. Uh, most of our addiction treatment services in the U.S. are publicly funded. Very few people know this. We, our public sector pays for people to get better. So that's another factor. And then finally, when something becomes addictive, it changes the way we think about the producers of the substance. And I think we heard that very loud and clear. When we found out, when we had tobacco executives standing up in front of Congress, swearing their products weren't addictive, and meanwhile, the FDA demonstrating that they were packing more nicotine in to make them more addictive, that changes the way people think about the problem. And reframing is a fundamental um, th uh, factor in policy change. So I think we, the stakes are high here. The, if the science can move cl uh, closer to really nailing this one down, I think we really have many, many things that we can do to uh, move this public policy machine in the right direction even faster than we already are. And so I want to just close on, in, in uh, expressing that I think what we heard today was a call to action.
for the Brain Trust at the University of California to come together, scientists of all kinds, from bench to clinical to population to policy, for us to work together and work as fast as we can to shift this policy debate. Thank you.